us, one to yourself, and you've called us together as a family, as a body, a local body of believers to praise your holy name. And so, God, I praise you for how you are already working in our service. I pray that you would continue to work through your word, through the preached word this afternoon. And, God, that you would minister to us, God, um, how you see fit. May your word do the work in all of our hearts, how you see fit this afternoon, God, I pray. Be glorified. Be lifted high. Be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 29, reads as follows. It says, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is God's word, family. Amen. 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 So in our time studying the passage before a few weeks ago, uh, if you were with us, we, we studied verses 21 through 28 of chapter 1. We saw that Jesus went to Capernaum with his disciples. He enters the synagogue on that day and, and shuts it down with his teaching, right? Uh, it says that he, he taught with authority and the people were astonished by his teaching. And so he shuts it down with his teaching and he also shuts the mouth of a demon who had possessed a man. And he commands him to come out of this man. And as he commanded him to come out of this man, the demon does. He does. And in light of that, the response of the people is amazement of Jesus. They are amazed by Jesus. That's what it says later on in the passage, right? And then Jesus' fame spreads all throughout the region. Now, when we come to our passage this afternoon, and if you're taking notes, here's how I would summarize this passage. Here's how I would summarize this passage is that Jesus cures the sick and casts out unclean spirits. Jesus cures the sick. That's what we see here in this passage. And he casts out unclean spirits. And our two points to help us walk through this passage this afternoon is, is that main idea broken into two parts. So point number one, Jesus cures the sick. We see that in verses 29 through 34. Point number two, Jesus casts out the unclean spirits. We'll see that in verse 34. So point number one, Jesus cures the sick. Jesus cures the sick. Look back with me at verse 29. Here's what it reads. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. As we've been learning already in Mark chapter 1, we, we see that uh, sense of urgency word again immediately. As it starts off in verse 21, it says, and immediately. So that's that sense of urgency word. And Mark's gospel is a fast-paced gospel, a sense of urgency type gospel. And so we see that word again immediately. So with a sense of urgency, Jesus and the disciples leave the synagogue. They leave the synagogue 
And they enter Simon's house, referring to Peter. So Simon is, is Peter, the apostle Peter, and Andrew's house, Andrew being his brother. And then James and John are with him. James and John are with them. So let me point out something we could easily miss and move past too quick. Notice that Jesus is with his disciples and that they are with him while he's doing ministry. Right? They've seen him teach already before. He teaches with authority, unlike the scribes, as we learned a few weeks ago. His teaching is on another level than the scribes. He is not teaching like the scribes. He's teaching with authority. And he also cast out unclean spirits with authority. So the disciples, so uh, you have Peter, you have Andrew, you have James and John. They have seen this. They have been with him. And they've experienced this so far. This is discipling on display, right? And discipling, I believe, is, is taught and caught, meaning that as we are seeking to disciple others in the faith, we are teaching, right? We're teaching Jesus. We're teaching the ways of Christ. We're teaching the book, the Bible. But then that also discipling also has something to do with people watching and seeing, looking at your life, seeing how you navigate your marriage, seeing how you navigate your singleness, seeing how you navigate work and, and all of these different things, seeing you, seeing your life. So discipleship in that sense or discipling in that sense is, is taught and caught. And I see from what I see in this passage, that's what Jesus is doing. Like he has the disciples with him and all throughout his three years, the disciples are with him. He's teaching them and then he's also showing them. He's modeling them. I know this isn't anything new per se for any of us in here, but it's something that I wanted to point out and something for us to just see again that as we think about discipling CACC, May we model after Jesus. May we continue to model after him in the way that he has laid it out for us. To teach, to preach, to teach, and to model, to, to show. So may we continue to teach Christ and then bring those folks that we are discipling into our lives so that they can see the nitty gritty, right? So they can see the good and the bad, <laughs> Right, so that they can actually see, like, hey, we are imperfect, but we're trusting in the perfect one. And I think that also helps in seeing young Christians grow up in the faith, as they see uh, those of us who are seasoned in the faith walking and living this thing out. So may we do that. So what does Jesus teach and model? Look back with me at verse 30 and 31. It says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with the fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. So this is Peter's mother-in-law, which implies that Peter was married, right? Uh, so Peter's mother-in-law was sick. She was laying down ill with a fever. In Luke 4.38, which is the parallel passage to this one, we are told she was ill with a high fever. So Luke 4. 38 says she was ill with a high fever, so she was really sick, right? Laying down ill, really sick. And as we see in verse 30, the disciples told Jesus about her, right? They knew who to run to. They knew who to run to. The disciples had just seen, as I've just been talking about, they had just seen how Jesus cast out the unclean spirit in the synagogue. 
So if anyone could help Peter's mother-in-law, it would be him. It would be Jesus. So then what does Jesus do? Look down at verse 31. It says that he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her. Do you see and hear the compassion of our Lord? They run to him. They come to him. And they tell him about her. Could you, could you imagine? Just think about the scene for a second. Could you imagine how worried they might have been? This is Peter's mother-in-law, the disciples, worried about his mother-in-law. She's sick. She's laying ill. They go to Jesus. And he comes. And he takes her by the hand. So he touches her. He takes her by the hand. And he lifts her up out of the bed. And the fever left her. Fever left her. So no hocus pocus here. No magic potion. Just a touch from the living God. A touch from the living God. Luke 4.39 says Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever. This is what it says, Luke 4.39. It says, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So Jesus rebuked the sickness in the same way he rebuked the unclean spirit. Back in verse 25 of chapter 1 that we studied a few weeks ago, right? Even if you just look a few verses up, what does it say? Verse 25 of chapter 1, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. So in the same way, Jesus rebukes this uh, sickness by the authority of his word, by the power of his word. And you see the results. She was healed. Not the next day. She didn't have to get one portion of a hill in one day and then come back a few days later to get the other portion. She didn't have to sow a seed to receive her healing. No. Jesus healed her on the spot. She was immediately healed on the spot. This is why we can't trust faith healers that we may run into or see on TVN or YouTube or anywhere along those lines. We can't believe them. Notice the stark differences between Jesus' healing ministry and what we know about the faith healers over the years or in our day. One scholar puts it this way. I like how he put it. He said, the healings of Jesus could not be more different than the contemporary counterfeits. Unlike faith healers who supposedly cure invisible ailments, Jesus healed people with undeniable organic diseases and physical disabilities, such as deafness, blindness, leprosy, and paralysis. On one occasion, Jesus reattached a missing ear such that it was perfectly restored. You see that in Luke 22, verses 50 to 51. He did the most extreme form of healing whenever he raised someone from the dead, right? Stark differences between Jesus' healing ministry and the healing ministries of, of those that we may have seen over the years or even maybe have been a part of over the years of TVN or YouTube and different things along those lines. Something else to notice is that Jesus didn't ask for any money. He didn't ask anything from Simon's mother-in-law. He didn't ask her for money or anything for that matter. I mean, think about this. How... Sick and sad is it 
to ask people who are literally suffering with real illnesses and diseases, or diseases, <laughs> who have probably already been giving money to the healing ministry, perhaps, maybe even spending their last dime, then to probably have to spend more money to travel to a healing crusade or a gathering of some sort only to attend and not receive the healing that you hoped for. How sick and how wicked is that? To lure people in, to say, yo, sow a seed, receive healing now. Sow a seed or, or do this, that, and the third, or do these types of things and you'll receive the healing. I mean, these are, we're talking about real people with illnesses, diseases, disabilities, who are desperate for a healing, who are desperate for a touch from the Lord. Just like we'll see in just a few moments as, as the people brought the whole city to Jesus. These people are desperate. They've been suffering, going through it. And so as we, as we think about the stark differences between the ministries of said, such, and this, that, and the third of those folks, compared to what Jesus does and has done, complete differences. Complete differences. Some of you all may have seen American Gospel. If you haven't, I encourage you to check it out, where they uh, talk through more about this and, and kind of do uh, interviews and things along those lines. If you've never checked it out, I encourage you, if you want to learn more about that, check that out. American Gospel is on Netflix. Uh, it's a really, it's a really, it's a, it's a good series. It's also a hard series um, as you just see just real people who have longed for and hoped for um, a healing uh, and they were promised a healing but they didn't get it. So right here we have Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law immediately and fully. We have Peter's mother-in-law being healed immediately right in there and fully. And lastly, Look at the last part of verse 31. In light of her being healed immediately and fully, what does she begin to do? She begins to serve them. That's what it says at the end of verse 31. Some translations let us know that this serving was her providing a meal for them. So this is Peter's mother-in-law who was laying on a bed, ill, sick, with a high fever. She's healed immediately by Jesus. And after she is healed, she begins to serve Jesus and the disciples. So this was the Sabbath dinner at this point in the story uh, because the Sabbath had ended. Again, as mentioned during our last time as we were looking at, you know, 21 through 28, uh, the, Sabbath was, the Sabbath was the Jewish day of worship that ran from sundown on Friday to the same on Saturday. And so they came together sundown to, to eat a meal together, and Peter's mother-in-law provided that meal for them. So as we continue to think about Jesus' healing power in the next few verses, look down with me. In verses 32 to 34, we're still talking about Jesus curing the sick. Jesus curing the sick. So verses 32 to 34, it says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So in verse 32... People heard about and saw Jesus' Jesus's healing power. So they, they heard about it, and they saw it on display. Jesus' healing power, 
And then they brought all who were sick or demon-possessed to him. So in verse 33, we learned that the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city, referring to Capernaum, was gathered together at the door. Some of us in here, I don't know um, if some of us was into it. I, I, I was, maybe a few of us. But who, who in here remembers like M1 Street Ball? Anybody remembers M1 Street Ball, anything along those lines? Uh, well, M1 Street Ball uh, was a movement for a while, for, for many years. Uh, and these were, you know, guys who were talented basketball players who could do all these different tricks and different things with the ball and, you know, do crazy moves and dunks and different things along those lines. But the whole city would come to see this guy named Skip Tamalu. His real name is Rafer Austin. He played sometime in the league. Um, they would come to see Rafer Austin. They would come to see Hot Sauce. Hot Sauce was my favorite. His real name is Philip Champion. He's from Atlanta. Uh, he was my favorite uh, uh, street ball player. But they would come to see guys like them, like at Rucker Park in, in New York, or you know, even thinking about you know, in Berry Farms you know, here in D.C., where we would see some big-name NBA players and other street ballers playing you know, these stars, and just think about, like, I mean, you probably have even been there or have even seen the videos, just how it was packed, like how almost the whole city, if not the whole city, was gathered to see these guys play. And these were some phenomenal players, like Kevin Durant would come through, right? We would see these phenomenal players doing what they do best, playing the the game of basketball with all of their skills and with all of their expertise. And so just imagine, get that picture in your mind, on a grander level, like the whole city, a lot of people gathered together outside of Simon's mother-in-law's house, outside of their house, gathered out there looking for Jesus. These people, as I've already mentioned, are in need of help. They're searching for help. They're desperate for Jesus' touch. They're looking for healing. They, even as Nikki was mentioning as she was you know, leading us in worship, these are people who have probably been oppressed and sick for many years, suffering with different sufferings of all kinds, coming to Jesus, being brought by others to Jesus. And look what Jesus does in verse 34. Look back down with me. It says, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases. He healed many who were sick with various diseases. <clears throat> now, that word many here doesn't mean he only healed a few people, right? Remember back in verse 32 that we just looked at, the text tells us that people brought all who were sick to him. This means then is that all who were brought to him, who were a great many in number, were healed. I'll say that again. What this means then is that all who were brought to him, who were a great many, a lot of people, he healed them. We even learned this in Luke 440, where it says here, now when the sun, this is the parallel passage to what we are studying this afternoon. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them, right? So we see that Jesus healed them all. He healed all of them. Now, some of us here today, 
maybe dealing with different sicknesses, illnesses. Maybe if you've been dealing with a, a, a particular illness for many years, for a long time, or maybe you know of a family member or a friend who's been experiencing a certain illness and you've been wondering for yourself personally or for them personally, what about me, Lord? What about me? Where, where's my healing, God? What about my family member? Or what, about my, what about my friend? And I get that. I can understand that. One of the things I would want to encourage us all, if that's, if that's us, to be reminded of what we are studying here this afternoon, and even as Sister Nikki was, was mentioning as she was leading, that, that God is able to heal. We do serve a God who is able to heal. Do we believe that this afternoon? Do we believe that God is able to heal? And if we do believe that, I would then encourage us to pray towards that end. To pray towards that end. Asking, pleading, believing that God can do it. Because he can, he is capable. But then at the same time, I would couple that with being reminded that even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, he still remains good. I know that's kind of hard, but he still remains good, and he still remains for you. And the reality of it is, is that some of us who are dealing with different health challenges or illnesses and sicknesses or diseases, et cetera, et cetera, some of us may experience healing now. Some of us may experience healing now where God heals us. But then some of us won't experience true healing until we're with the Lord. Until we're with the Lord. When we will experience true healing. Jesus never promised that he would heal us of all of our sicknesses or diseases, illnesses. But he did promise that he, be, he would be with us through it. He did promise he would be with us in it as we are going through it, as we are dealing with it. He did promise that he would be with us. And another promise that we can uh, clamp onto, we can latch onto, another promise is that he's going to do away with sin and the effects of sin. He's going to do away with all illnesses and sicknesses and diseases and death itself. So let's also clamp onto this promise. So, one, that he is with us in it. Two, that he's going to do away with all of it when he returns. Revelation 21, 3 through 4 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Do we believe that this afternoon? That what we are experiencing right now, I'm not in any way 
trying to downplay what anybody experiences, right? The hardships, the, the hard realities of health challenges and illnesses and things along those lines. In no way am I trying to downplay that at all, but also wanting to help us and help myself to get our eyes on the hope that we have in a new heavens and new earth, that one day all of that that we're experiencing right now will be no more, will be no more. So getting our eyes, getting our hearts set on, fixated on, one day Jesus is going to wipe every tear. He's going to wipe every tear, family. Pain will be no more, family. Death in and of itself will be done away with. No more death. No more sin. No more shame from sin. No more guilt from sin. All of it done. May we continue to encourage our hearts with that. May we continue to encourage our hearts and remind ourselves from God's word that this isn't our home. Heaven is our home. One day we will be with him and we will be able to see him face to face and worship him for all our days. So may we latch on to that hope this afternoon. May we help others, other family members and friends, folks who we you know, are out on the block sharing the gospel with. May we help others also latch on to that hope that is only found in Jesus and his return, his coming. So point number one, Jesus cures the sick. And our last and final point, Jesus casts out unclean spirits. Jesus cast out unclean spirits. So again, we see Jesus' authority over unclean spirits or demons, uh, as we looked at this a few weeks ago, but demons being the, the word that is used mostly in referring to unclean spirits throughout the Gospels. So demons, uh, which are fallen angels um, who followed after Satan in, in, in his rebellion against God. These are fallen angels. We saw this in chapter 1, 23 through 26. I'm just going to read that again just to kind of set the tone for where we're headed with this. And so chapter 1, verse 23 through 26, you can just look above in your text there. It says, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. So once again, the people knew what Jesus was capable of. They knew what he was capable of. So they bring him, all those who were oppressed by demons, we see in verse 32. That evening in verse 32 of where we're studying, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. I mean, could you, could you imagine this scene? These folks who were oppressed by demons, which means that they were enslaved by them. They were enslaved by demons, held captive by them. That they were held hostage, prisoners in their own bodies by unclean spirits. 
who were controlling them to, and making them say things that they wouldn't normally say in a normal state, like the demon-possessed man in 124 that we just read, or their bodies doing things that they wouldn't normally do, similar to the little boy who was demon-possessed in Mark 9, 14 through 29. Just going to read that here just to, just to uh, help us think more about this, but Mark 9, verse 17, it says, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Verse 20, And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Isn't that interesting? You see the compassion similar to how you lifted up Simon's mother-in-law by the hand. You know what I mean? Rebuked, although hers was sickness. This was an unclean spirit, but, but he rebukes the, the sickness and the unclean spirit. And just like Simon Peter's mother-in-law arose, she began to serve. This little boy got up. So we see Jesus here, his authority over unclean spirits. And so in these cases, and, and many throughout Jesus' ministry, he cast them out. Satan and his demons are no match for Jesus. And no match for Jesus. At the name, we were singing about this, at the name of Jesus, demons tremble and flee. And at the name of Jesus, sicknesses and diseases are healed, and the oppressed by demons are set free. This is the power of of our Lord. Amen? The only power of our Lord able to conquer sicknesses and diseases, to cast out demons, to heal those of any diseases, illnesses. This is the power of our Lord. Now we have an interesting phrase at the end of verse 34, don't we? At the end of verse 34, is an interesting phrase there where it says, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Because they knew him. Well, in our time a few weeks ago, as we were looking at verses 21 through 28, we even saw there in verse 24 the way the demon uh, spoke to Jesus. He knew him in his humanity and divinity. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So he knew Jesus in his humane state, his humanity state. But then what does he say later on that? He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
He knew Jesus in his divinity state, his divine state. And so we see this that, you know, they knew him. This is the only place where we see Jesus telling demons or the people not to tell others about him. We see this in uh, other places. Just to give a few examples here, we see this later in chapter 1 as we'll get to it uh, in the coming weeks. But we see this after he heals the man of leprosy in verses 44 through 45 here in chapter 1, right? And we also see this in Mark 7, 36. He says here in Mark 7, 36, it says, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, <laughs> the more zealously they proclaimed it. So the more Jesus told them, you know, to not say anything, to not run your mouth, to not tell people who it is, who has done this, the more people told, the more people shared. So the more Jesus told them not to do it, the more that they did, they couldn't keep their mouths shut about the goodness and mercy of our Lord. Couldn't keep their mouths quiet. They had to go tell others about him. Let me tell you a man who has known me, who knows everything about me. This is Jesus that they couldn't stop running their mouths about. So essentially what's going on here is that Jesus didn't want his identity to be known. There's a few reasons why, as I read some different scholars on it, but I'm just going to give us a few reasons to kind of, uh, yeah, kind of think on, you know, here as to why this is the case. Number one, he was not the king the Jews expected, but he was the king and savior they needed and who we all desperately needed. So if you remember and know, as we, you know, think through the Bible, that they were looking for a king to overthrow Rome. They were looking for a king, and they thought that this was that king, Jesus, who was coming to overthrow the rule of Rome, but only to find out that Jesus' plan was bigger than that. He came to overthrow Satan, sin, and death. So they were looking for this king to come and rule on the throne and overthrow Rome. Jesus came to, to overthrow the works of Satan, sin, and death. Number two, that's number one. Number two, he didn't want people to confuse him for a magician or just a miracle worker. He didn't want people to confuse him. He was different. He was more. He is more. He had authority unlike the magicians or the wicked sorcerers of his day. Their power was limited. His power is unlimited. So he was different. He indeed is God. Number three, and lastly, he was humble. He was humble. Magicians and others who performed tricks, et cetera, et cetera, were attention seekers. They were seeking attention, but not Jesus. Jesus wasn't looking for attention. He was humble. We see this even in Philippians 2. Humble to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, number one, he was not the king, the Jews were expecting, but the king and savior that they needed and we all needed too. They want people to confuse him for being a magician or just a miracle worker. He was different. He was more. He was God. Number three, he was humble. Sorry, as we come to a close, for us Christians here, or you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, 
want us to, to think about this for a second. We've been talking about how Jesus cures the sick. We've been talking about how he cast out, how he, how he has power over unclean spirits. But the reality of it is, is that our greatest need isn't to be healed from any sicknesses. Our greatest need isn't to be, isn't a demon to be cast out. In fact, our greatest need is salvation. Our greatest need is salvation. I love how one scholar puts it this way. He says, our greatest ailment is not sickness, but sin. Not demons, but death. That's our greatest need. Greatest need being that we are sinners apart from Christ in need of salvation, in need of being forgiven of our sins, how we've offended God and live lives that are unworthy of what he has called us to. So praise God if we're here and we're Christians, praise God that we have experienced salvation in that sense, but we continue to, to walk by faith and believe Jesus, what he has done, and continue to be reminded that, yeah, our greatest need is him. We need him daily. So we continue to trust him daily. But for anyone who doesn't know the Lord, your greatest need is that you are in need of forgiveness. You are in need of a relationship with Jesus. Jesus came, he lived a perfect sinless life that you could never live, he died the death that you deserved, that I deserved, on the cross, he was buried, on the third day he got up, he rose from the dead, so that you and me can receive him, and believe upon him. He granted eternal life. So if you're here, you don't know Jesus, we want to invite you to know him, to get to know him by turning away from your sin and turning to him by faith. Believe upon him. So Jesus cures the sick. Jesus casts out unclean spirits, all to point us to a greater need which is salvation, the salvation we need, which is only found in him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, your power being on display and that we we're seeing, we're, we're hearing how you cured the sick, how you cast out unclean spirits, that even the verses before that you had authority in your teaching, unlike the scribes, you are in a league of your own, you are God, and we are here worshiping you. God, I pray that you would remind all of us, those of us who are Christians, those of us who may not be Christians yet, remind us of our greatest need, that being you. 
that you have offered yourself so that we might know you and live for you and worship you forever. Be with us as we continue to worship you. Be glorified in it all. Bless the preaching of your word. May you apply it to our hearts. Apply it to us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.